Welcome to the Agency Collective Tales with Ellie Hale, our podcast where we talk to our brilliant agency owners about all things agency life. I am joined today by Harry Fielder from Umi Digital. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Harry. Lovely to be here. You were about to tell me, Umi Digital, where that came from? Yeah, so it's an untypical origin. So Umi actually started its life as a hotel company. So Umi Hotels predated Umi Digital. So my business partner, Steve Lowy, founded Umi Hotels back in 2007. There was one in Brighton, one in Moscow, and one in London. The one in Moscow was a franchise setup. Interesting experience. And Umi Digital was actually formed out of the internal marketing department breaking away and becoming its own thing. Back in 2007 through 2010, the hotel itself built up a really good flow of direct bookings, trying to pull bookings away away from the online travel agents because obviously they charge so much commission it's 20% commission through online travel agents so the goal for hotels is really to just drive their own business and there was a business in itself they'd already laid the groundwork and then went off and started to find clients exactly my first piece of work with the business was actually with the central merged hotel and marketing setup I then went back to university by which time when I came back it all split off And that's when I joined Steve as a co-founder and we ended up growing the business as it is today. He then dipped out as a day-to-day operational member of the team, sort of maybe in 2017 or so to run an educational travel business. And we've grown it from there. It's nice because when you were in a niche, it's very compelling to be able to say you were once a client. You were once a Right in the heart of it. Yeah, absolutely. And all the methodologies and the processes and everything that we have today actually stems from being a hotel company. And we can really track back what the needs were. There's a few members of the team that overlap when Umi Hotels were still involved. So we still have some company memory of that. Always remained at the heart of what we do. So talk to me about the last two years. How has that affected the agency? March 2020, our revenue dropped 60% within a week. The split of our services, I'd say it's probably 60% recurring. Marketing support, advertising support, creative on those monthly retainers, with 40% being design and build and project-based stuff. The project-based stuff, a lot of it was put on ice. Just because we deal with exclusively in the hospitality and travel sector, they literally shut up shop overnight almost. Or... If they didn't shut up shop overnight, they didn't have the confidence in which to base new investments and new projects. So we naturally had to keep things online. So there was an element of basic income throughout that, but certainly not enough to feed all the mouths. And we had to use furlough a lot. The most painful thing was that we have a relatively young team and everyone had been used to a lot of growth over the last five years. We've been doubling year on year since 2016, really. So and I think for people to get their heads around not making progress was a really tough mental thing, you know, particularly for me. I'd only really known growth. But actually Mm. success in itself was just staying alive and staying afloat. How did that Um, affect you as an agency owner? I'm really torn because there's this feeling of wanting to protect everyone. At the time, we had a headcount of about eight or nine. That feeling of not wanting to panic anyone and being saying, oh, I'd be fine. Just because that's what you want to say. They've got their mortgages, they've got their lives, right? And then you're split between being incredibly transparent and saying, right, this is the reality of the situation. I don't know if we're going to make it out of it. There were times when I gave it a far higher probability of it not working out than working out. So it was really tough to try and strike that balance of not creating alarm or panic unduly, but also respecting people's intelligence that clearly there's something at play here and clearly there's something not right and it is bad. That was probably the toughest thing of understanding how to communicate in a crisis. Yeah, I guess you've never had to learn that lesson before, right? Did you just follow instinct or did you seek advice on it? Did you speak to other agency owners about how they were managing it? I did have some advice. It was probably more 
given to me than me actively seeking it out, which I think has changed my approach to seeking advice actually in the last few years as well, because it made me realize just how valuable an external opinion is. <laughs> Maybe that slight arrogance moving away when you realize you can't control anything. Yes, it was more about that pushed me towards the just be very transparent. You don't have to go into all the details of the numbers, but show them the basic overview of where we're at. This is how much yeah. it costs to keep the lights on. This is where we're at from a cash point of view. This is the money coming in. Here's a best case scenario. Here's a medium case scenario. Here's a worst case scenario. And this is how we can all pull together to make this thing work. That in itself transitioned my thinking away from I'm the only one that can solve this problem to actually we can collectively solve this problem, which irrespective of the pandemic was another really important lesson as well, because at the size of eight people, very director led sales, pretty much all revenue goes through me. I have a hand on a lot of the projects, not delivering them necessarily, not account managing them per se, but I'll have a relationship with most people. And I think it told me to let go a little bit and realize that you can't control everything all the time. And the sooner you can trust people and share the responsibility of success, then it is a weight off your heart and your head. Yeah, definitely easier said than done though. Hey? Oh, massively. But it was quite a liberating experience. Absolutely. So did you just have to do it bit by bit, this task, this project? Initially it was right. I need you to all find areas that we can save some money. What tools are we paying for that we're not using? How much are we chucking down the drain on random marketing bits and bobs? All these tools that we've subscribed to that weren't really that important. We managed to find so many savings around servers just because traffic was so much lower. We could, mm -hmm. the requirement of us having all of these advanced tools was just so much lower because business operationally had become a lot slower. So that was the first thing. The second thing was getting people buying into the whole furlough thing. Those furlough conversations to me, because I'd never had to let anyone go before almost felt like I was letting someone go. I'll bet. And you look back on it and you think from an HR perspective, that's probably the easiest thing you're ever going to do. Tell someone that you can go and earn a good chunk of money by not doing anything. At the time, it was just so hard. But nobody really knew hard. what it meant though, did they? And I guess nobody knew two years later, we'd still be in all mm. sorts of mayhem because of it. And I guess to be told you were going on furlough two years ago, it was the unknown, wasn't it? Is this the first step to me losing my job? What's going to happen? Exactly. And why some people were furloughed and not others. And then that's comparison of going, why am I less important? So when you look back on it, yes, it was a wonderful scheme. And the scheme itself made sure that we could continue operating and these people continue their jobs. So for us, it did exactly what it was designed to do, given the industry we're in and everything. But yeah, it was tough. Especially then, I guess, another HR perspective is dealing with the staff that are left behind to do all of the work. There was less to do, but it was more panic messaging. Every client that we were speaking to, it was never a nice conversation to have. Even if the relationship between us and them was fine, all their communication was out of panic and they weren't having a fun time of it at all. So trying to support them through that panic and that distress was also quite draining. You're never celebrating big wins. And certainly in the agency world, you latch on to your client's successes. If they win an award, it's fantastic because you've had a part in that. If they have an amazing year and you help support them to that, you feel really good about it. So deriving a sense of value in what you're doing, both as a owner and manager and everything of it, my sense of self-satisfaction in work is completely linked to the success of the business. But for the staff as well, their sense of value is delivering cool stuff for clients and clients being really happy and grateful and seeing the results of it. And when you can't see any of that, both from a progress point of view, it's going backwards. And from an individual client project-based thing, it's not backwards, but it's just not happening.
the motivation was really tough. We had one person move for only one person to leave in all of that time was great in hindsight. And that was purely just because they were at a point in their career when they really wanted to push on and do some cool stuff from a development point of view. They wanted to learn new technologies, deliver cool web apps and everything. And there just wasn't the opportunity at the time. And therein lies another dilemma. If someone's clearly not happy, to what extent do you keep saying, just hang on, we can do it because you don't know that. And it's not very respectful to them as well. If you keep trying to fit them into a job that you know, they're not quite yeah, dangling some carrots. And that was another really tricky thing to learn. How do you try and keep people without being able to promise anything or without being to actually set milestones? Because everyone loves to know if I do this by then this will happen. You couldn't do any of that. So yeah. incentive schemes or career progress or anything was not really possible. So how did you navigate through that? I think the transparency came in very useful and the ability to say, this is where we're at. And if we can sign, we will unfurlow all these people. And I said, right, every single project we get, it's going to result in an unfurlow person. This year is not about making money. That's long gone. But the mission of this is to try and get everyone back in a role, get the team back, because that's when everyone feels motivated as well, when you've got lots of people to bounce off. If you're the only person holding up your department, it's pretty depressing. In that furlough time, we spent so much time building cool stuff. We had so much time to use. So we built check-in applications for hotels. We did digital menus. We did track and trace apps. We did all sorts of things. So we created a thing called Umi Labs, which was just a, a playground, really, that we had all these hotels to test things on. We didn't really charge any money for it. It was just a playground, really, for a yeah. year or two that's actually resulted in some great PR and some have gone forward. We created just a WordPress plugin, but it was like a one-click install and you could sell vouchers on your site. So you didn't have to sign up for one of these big gift voucher platforms that take a big commission. It was just work with Stripe, work with WordPress, off you go. What vouchers do you want to sell? And we had one hotel who covered all non-furloughed overheads through that afternoon teas and stays and all that sort of stuff. So that just came out of, oh, let's just mess around with WordPress plugins for a week or so. It's incredible. That was cool. So when did you guys feel that you were coming out of the dark? When did things start picking up for you travel-wise? I think there's been a few little upticks, definitely. One big uptick was we worked with a company called Northcote. They're a hotel slash Michelin star restaurant up north. They sell Michelin star food boxes. And that was just crazy. Everyone was at home. Each one was very expensive. They had about 4,000 people wanting 400 boxes in the space of 20 minutes. There was lots of little spikes of activity and excitement, which kept our minds sharp, I guess. But properly, I would say September, October 21 was when across the board started having people really interested in kickstarting their marketing campaigns again, feeling confident enough to build new platforms, new systems, launch new products. Long time to hold your breath. Yeah, it was. And again, we're not on the front line of hospitality, so we're not the hotel itself, but mm -hmm. our fortunes are almost entirely linked to it. Much like other people in the industry, you've got booking engine providers, you've got their model is they just take three to 5% commission on any bookings yeah. that a hotel makes. Again, they're not on the front line, but they are directly linked to the success of the industry. Yeah, lots of other people affected. So coming yeah. into this year, finish the first quarter now, what is next for UMI? COVID probably taught us or taught me that pre-pandemic, we'd landed some really big projects, cool projects that should have probably kick-started a snowball for us. And instead, we were quite cautious about it. We were very defensive and banked that as a great experience, but didn't necessarily use it as a platform on which to go and win loads of other big projects. Now, in one way, it meant that we didn't overstretch ourselves pre-pandemic and in hindsight, probably was a contributing factor to getting through it. 
because we were so defensive and had a little war chest to keep us going. However, it did show to me that we had opportunities and didn't take them in the past. Since October, we've had our most successful series of four months or whatever it is in history. We've hired four people in the last four months. And so this year is about really kicking on. It's using the platform of both all the learning that we've done. So not necessarily project-based stuff, but we've learned a huge amount in the last two years and have also landed some great projects in the last few months. And it's now using that platform to set quite an aggressive growth strategy for the next year, really. So while we've been incrementally ticking up, I've set a budget to really kick on this year. The other big change, I think, as well, has been in 2020, we still had pretty junior team, I would say. We'd done some good stuff, but we didn't have many really experienced people. We still have never hired ex-senior people, ex-big agency. We haven't done that. We still have grown quite organically and people have grown within their roles. But another HR thing, going back to HR, was there comes a point where someone's done something very well, even having started junior, is now no longer junior. And if you just keep incrementing them, this is the next level up, this is the next level up, and there's like a small tick, small tick, small tick, their next logical step would be to jump sideways. And so March this year, we almost like a rebalancing of just taking a fresh perspective on everyone and start treating ourselves as more of a small to medium sized business as opposed to yeah. a small business, just taking stock again. If this person was on the open market, what does it look like? And recalibrating. Now you could get away with, we're in a pandemic, we can't do anything. I understand. Mm -hmm you need more or want more or yes, you've learned a lot, but I, there's not a huge amount I can do now. But this was a chance to try and rebalance it and recalibrate ourselves. Retention is so important. Absolutely. It's such a dream to have someone start junior and go all the way through because they've got so much history in the company. They know yeah. all the quirks and the little details, such a valuable addition to the culture. Unless there's a definite step that they can take, particularly having grown from a small team, they're probably at the top of their department all the way through. So there's not like, oh, I can take your job. I'm the developer. Now I have a couple of developers underneath me. Now I know a lot more. What now? What do I do with that? There's not a designed career ladder in this particular instance. In bigger agencies, yes, you have the normal steps. Whereas for us, there were no normal steps. I've got a wonderful operations director, Dana. She's been my number two all the way through, but what's next step? Doesn't want to do what I do, but also we're both complete yin and yang in the sense that she's got operations and process and everything on complete lockdown. I'm not that at all. For her, what's that next step? When you're growing within a company, but you're already at the top of something small, but underneath you, things are getting bigger. So that's been quite an interesting one. Yeah. So are you still in the midst of working that out? No, I think we had a good recalibration at the beginning of March. And we also did a rebrand at the same time. Fresh brand, new HR system, revised contracts. I think it's created a bit of a clean slate in a way for setting quite an aggressive growth plan. And you've unified the team, right? You've got everyone on board. You know, everyone's committed. Now yeah. you can push. Particularly post-COVID, if all the teams start seeing the company do very well, because we are transparent with revenue and profit yeah. and all that kind of stuff. We're you know, very transparent about that. If they suddenly start seeing all of that and nothing's really changing for them, you have the old school businesses where it might be 100% owned by someone. The profit that comes out of it at the end of the day is what they live on and that's their thing. And that can be huge. That can be vast. It can be small. It doesn't matter what it is, but all profit is essentially pocketed. That attitude... I get it. I fully understand it. But I think to a younger workforce, it's really tough to get your head around. Yeah. It just doesn't really fly anymore. If you were to say, yes. we made all of this profit, what are we putting back in this next year? And I think a younger staff member is going to want to know that. People really want to be working for something bigger. I don't really know how it was before because I've only ever really been involved in young team, I guess, but mm -hmm. interesting one. So exciting things ahead for you guys. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Harry. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for all your lovely questions. Thanks so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, stay in touch 
And if you like what you hear, find out more at theagencycollective.co.uk.